0: Don't push on. There it is. It's not what? Exclusive of doubt. Exclusive of doubt, exist. Okay. Yeah. So is that they're not mutually exclusive? Yeah, better Yeah, okay. So they faith can exist with doubt. And doubt can exist with faith, I guess. Such
1: a story, okay. <laughs> okay, so um, this
0: morning our passage is so, so, so long it didn't fit in the handout. So um, if you have a Bible or a Bible app and want to follow along, go ahead and get that out. We're in Mark chapter, you know, 4 and 5. Um, and there's also a few Bibles, I know this is crazy and old school. Behind your pew, or maybe under it.
2: Everybody, look under your chairs. I've
0: never said that. Oh, there signals. There were Bibles in there. There's some Bibles
2: on the shelf. Oh, there's some Bibles on the shelf back
0: there, too. So I've been told. Okay. And Aaron's. different uh, story consecutive stories out of Mark's Gospel. Just like. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion,
3: They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him any more, even with a chain, for he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he had wrenched apart In the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had seemed had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now there, there were on the hillside a great herd of swine was feeding. And the unclean spirits begged him, Send us into the swine let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The swine herds ran off and told it in the city and and in the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw... The demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away, and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed.
2: When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, "My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be, be made well and live." So he went him. and the large crowd followed him and pressed about him. one to "Imagine <laughs>
1: something from for twelve years. She had endured much under many positions and had spent all that she had, and she was not better, but rather than worse. She had heard about Jesus and had out behind him and the crowd and touched his cloak, for her, she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. It from hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. It made the way that Paul had gone forth from her. her Jesus turned to about the crowd and said, You touched the horse. And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, but how can you say, Who touched you? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the women knowing what had happened to her, gathered fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Brother, this day has made you well. Go in peace and be of your disease.
2: While he was still speaking, some people came when to leave his house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing around him. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, it's sleeping." And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside, and took the child's father, and mother, and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, to leave the group, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk around. She was twelve years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should notice Told to give to you. Thanks.
0: This is the word of the Lord.
1: This
0: is the word of God. So, um, one of my friends uh, tagged me on Facebook with this uh, little infographic a couple weeks ago. And it was like um, Jesus is every number in the Enneagram. And it had like these different stories that was like, Jesus as a one, Jesus as a two. And I was laughing because of the story for Jesus as a nine, which is my husband Caleb's number, uh, was this story about Jesus falling asleep on the boat and there's like this (laughs) huge storm. And his disciples are like, well, do you care about us? And he was just like groggily, like getting up and being like, quiet storm. (laughs) It's it's kind of a funny, funny picture. I can totally see Kim being like that. So um, anyway, I just thought I'd share that to start. Um, So Kelly McGonigal, no relation to the Harry Potter character, um, is a health psychologist. And Kelly went around for 10 years with a singular message. That message is, don't be stressed. Stressed is bad for your health. It can make you sick. It can lead to your death. And then one day she came across, after 10 years, she came across this uh, pretty legitimate study that actually completely changed everything about her work and her message. Um, And that study, what it did was it asked uh, over 30,000 Americans over eight years two questions. Number one, how much stress would you say you have experienced over the past year? And number two, do you believe that stress is bad for you? Now, the bad news was in the study that if people reported very high levels of stress over the past year, that they actually had a 43% increased chance of dying. And that backed up the message that Kelly had been sharing for the past 10 years. But the shocking news came next, that um, the study showed that the risk of dying, that 43% increase, was only in people who both reported high levels of stress in the past year and believed that stress was bad for their health. In fact, those who didn't believe that stress was bad for their health showed no increased death risk at all. <laughs> this is a change her for Kelly because she had been going around for 10 years telling people stress is bad for your health. And that whole time, it could have been that message that was actually bad for people's health. <laughs> <laughs> that it's the belief that that thing is bad for your health is that act- what actually is bad for your health is what she found out. And so she changed her message. And there's this great TED talk about it. So look it up. Uh, and she talks about now how to manage your stress, how to think positively of your stress, how to see it as a way to engage your body in a challenging circumstance, how to, see, how to see it as a positive thing because that's actually what's good for your health is viewing stress in a positive way. So one of the questions in the discussion was, have you ever believed something that sounds a little crazy and totally irrational? And yet, for some reason, you believe it anyway. Now, it can be something small. Like, um, I'll give a personal example. Uh, Like, I believe, and some of you know this, that God speaks to me sometimes through fortune cookies. (laughs) And, okay, not all the time. But, like, there have been, on many occasions, I, like, open a fortune cookie, and I'm like, hmm. Hmm. Or it can be something big. Like, um, I just watched the movie The Two Popes. Yes. Has a, How many people have seen it? I'm wondering how much of a spoiler alert I should give. Well, what I'm going to tell you is actually, like, part of recent history. So if you haven't been watching the news for the past seven years, that's really not my fault. Um, <laughs> but this movie portrays um, Pope Benedict XVI around the year um, 2010, sharing with who is who we now know as the, the current Pope of the Catholic Church, Pope Francis, um, that he is going to retire. And that he feels confident that this is God's will. And Pope Francis is like, no, you can't. You can't retire. Like you are the embodiment of Christ for the church, and you have to die in your position as Christ's path led to death. But Pope Benedict was so convinced. It didn't. He wasn't convinced by Pope the future Pope Francis's words. Um, it didn't make a difference uh, because he was so convinced that this was the, the will of God that even though that it was likely to uh, fly in the face of over a billion Catholics' expectations, he in fact did retire in the year 2013, um, which is thus the name of the movie Two Popes because there's two popes. Two people who have been pope who are alive right now, which hasn't happened since the 1500s. So that kind of thing. Like a belief that really doesn't make sense. Is being convinced of something, despite evidence to the contrary, able to be a catalyst to change the future? Is the belief that God can speak to you through a fortune cookie the thing that actually allows God to speak to you through fortune cookies? Is it the belief, could it be the belief that stress is bad for you, The catalyst that makes stress actually bad for you when it comes to the matters of God when we say we believe something about God we often use the word faith well it really is faith in our passage this morning our very long passage each one of these stories is pretty different one is about saving the disciples from a storm then there's two about healing Physical illness and mental illness. And then finally, a raising of a dead little girl. But every story, I don't know if you picked up on this, every story, there's some sort of comment about faith in the midst of it. So there is this overarching message. But what could it possibly be? Because in each of these stories, faith is talked about Pretty radically differently. The faith of the disciples was actually insufficient, Jesus says, in their salvation at sea. And yet, they were saved anyway. The faith of the bleeding woman was a source of healing, even without Jesus' explicit attention or even consent beforehand. What does that say? The faith of the father apparently has something to do with his daughter's resurrection and healing. But could it be that maybe it was only faith enough to let Jesus continue to come to his house to see his daughter? And that was the only difference it made. And the stranger, I'm sorry, and stranger than any of these is the faith of the demon in this story, not of the demoniac, that's not PC, it's like the man experiencing demons.
1: Um, The
0: faith of the demon, while the man who's actually experiencing the condition is totally, seems to be in the story, totally unaware of his condition or his healing until after the fact. We see in this one story that this one woman's faith was actually the catalyst for her healing. But in others, faith faith was lacking altogether, or it had to be encouraged or even relegated to the demons in the story alone. Is there a power in faith to be a catalyst for a changed future? If so, that's not quite what's happening when you look at all of these stories together. Because humans are doing all kinds of things in these stories. They're believing, they're not believing, they're being filled with fear, and then Jesus' posture seems to be consistent throughout. Jesus is healing and saving and offering hope and resurrection and respect and care regardless of race or class or age or worthiness or prestige or even, shockingly, the person's faith. The person's faith in Christ's divinity and even his ability to heal him didn't seem to help them or even to save them even if faith can be a catalyst for a changed future it doesn't necessarily this lot doesn't necessarily have the faith to do it this group of people is not the most faithful and yet the future is changed for them anyway It's as if, Caleb talked about last week, the story of the parable of the sower. It's as if these good seeds get scattered everywhere. And Jesus embodies this kind of generosity that shows no regard for efficiency. Good soil, bad soil, path, thorns, rocks. These good seeds go everywhere. Could it be that these seeds, this kingdom of God good news, is made that's made up of healing and health and resurrection gets planted not based on the faith or the belief of the soil that it will receive seed but based solely on the faith and the faithfulness of the sower to sow the seed our whole story the story of the people of God is one about God reaching out to God's people, promising presence and a hope for the future in the midst of suffering and even unbelievable uh, prophetic words like we heard in our Old Testament uh, reading this morning. The entire biblical narrative is about um, this incarnation is about God moving towards people and people having all kinds of responses to that sometimes positive, sometimes negative, sometimes they're ready, sometimes they're not, sometimes they run away, sometimes they obey, sometimes they disobey, although often, more often than not, it seems like negative, right? It's like, God's like, do this. Here, I'm, I'm here to be with you. Okay, well, we wanna go over here. and That's okay, I'm gonna forgive you, I'm gonna heal you, I'm gonna come to you, and you're, you're forgiven, and you're gonna have a new future. Thank you, God, so much, but I think we'll go over here, right? It's this constant, like, humans kind of running away, God coming to you, forgiving, having these, like, parental conversations, like, there's these things called natural consequences, and, you know, what happens is when you uh, do this, this is what happens because that's a natural consequence, you know. Uh, You have this hard conversation, and this whole dance and this flow of this relationship is the same thing as scripture over and over and over, and maybe it's like a spiral. And maybe it's actually clumsily and in a very inefficient way going somewhere. And I wonder if we as the human race, and more specifically as Christians, can look back at this story of the people of God over time and realize the good news in it. A good news that mirrors our stories this morning that it is not what we do that is loved and accepted but it's ultimately who we are that that the human race that these are that we are like children who can do nothing to lose god's love and care and god's faithfulness to us and god's mercy I often think of something, I think Jen is in the nursery this morning, but uh, I often think of something that Jen said, um, used to say a while ago, about her son Holden, and how she would describe about how he would come home from being at daycare all day, and he would just be, I mean she didn't use this word, but I'll just use this word, he would be kind of like a terror, like he would just uh, get upset over the things, of the drop of the hat, Be uh, angry, have breakdowns, and it would just be like. And if you talk to his teachers at school, he is a perfect kid all day. Every parent knows what I'm talking about right now uh, who has kids, you know, not infants, but uh, maybe even infants. Uh, they're perfect at school and they come home and they're like miserable. And if their teachers would see them, they'd be like, Who is this child? We were talking about that the other day. But Jen used to say, She said, You know what? I'm here for it. Like, He has to hold it together all day at school and when he comes home he can be like that because I I can be that for him I'm glad that he feels comfortable and safe enough to let it all out at the end of the day and it's okay and I can handle it and I think God is like this and in this way God is like a good father and a good mother offering patient endurance forgiveness and a hope for our goodness and our future and the end game is love not to discipline us not to discipline us into submission or quietness or morality but to be with us like a good parent is holding out and holding our hand, hoping that we will also reach out and hold our neighbor's hand and you'll notice where God is in these stories. In these tales of storms and mental and physical illness and death, Jesus, who is this God in particular? The human and embodied revelation of the eternal Son of God. Jesus is a stranger in the house, in one story. He's a member of a crowd in another. He's a passenger on a boat in another. And he's a stranger in the land in another. When God is revealed in the incarnation, God is with people, seemingly regardless of their faith, offering healing and calming and saving and resurrecting love. Jesus is this image of the invisible God that reveals and validates the often-obscured intentions of God from our older stories. Jesus shows us that God's faithfulness is not limited to one race or one gender or to the wise. Jesus shows us that the good news is for all. Can you believe it? that our faith is always a response to God's faithfulness and if we have faith it is a gift not a superpower and that our maturing in the gospel is due to God sowing and watering and weeding our heart soils with patience and skill knowing that we can produce fruit of God's kingdom spirit God knows more than we do that we can be the people of God like God God knows that we are capable of forgiving and freeing each other suffering with each other generously giving all we have to God without borders and divisions without bitterness and lack and strife God knows we are capable of bearing each other in love which is patient and kind and not envious and not proud not bragging and rejoicing when the truth comes out God has faith in us but do we believe We believe God is for us. Giving God the benefit of the doubt, of all of our doubts about God's goodness and faithfulness to us, to me, that's faith. Giving God the benefit of the doubt. Faith is an opening. It's like, um... It's like LASIK surgery that changes your vision. It can be a blinding light on the road to Damascus, shocking and disorienting. Without your permission or knowledge, it can be me, me being finally freed from your demons, however many there are. A faith in God's goodness and faithfulness to you can even overcome great fear. Faith is not a ladder to climb out of this world, but it is being receptive to God's goodness and faithfulness in this world. Our faith is always a response to God's faithfulness. Could this spot be why we only need a little? As much as a mustard seed? Because it is God's faithfulness that carries us? The belief, and that the belief in God's faithfulness carries us is the thing that that in fact, faith becomes the catalyst to change the future, that small belief. Not not so that we can have whatever we want, but to produce fruit of the same seed, the same good seed that's been planted in us. To create a world that the prophets, both old and new, spoke of. This week, um, our country celebrated Reverend Martin Luther And he was a recent prophet who was martyred for using his faith in a changed future to create one. So I want to close today by reading a part of his most famous speech, which I'm sure you will recognize. And in it, he quotes the prophets of old as well. He says, I have a dream today With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that one day we will be free. So today, may you believe that God is for you that God is a good, good parent, that God loves you, and that there is nothing that you can do to change that. Today, may you believe that God has and will be faithfully for and with us, despite it all and in sometimes insurmounting evidence to the contrary. And may we, as the body of Christ, endeavor to receive the gift of faith, to carry on Jesus' work of revealing God's true and faithful and loving nature in all we do and all we don't do. Let's pray. Father and Mother, may your presence reveal the truth of your loving kindness and goodness to us. May, may we receive the gift of faith that is always a response to your faithfulness. And may we be able to believe your goodness, and that you are for us, regardless of our behavior and our faith.